Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we strive to present the truth and love of Jesus to the heart of our community through music, art, and public speaking. Today, we continue with our study through 1 Corinthians, and we hope you are encouraged by this message. Let's get started. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here at the church, Um, and it's my privilege and honor again to teach us from the Bible. So if you have a Bible with you, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians for many, many months now. We started a study in this book back in February of this year, and we're almost finished, guys. Look at this. I'm like a page away from the end. Now, just for the record, I can teach an entire sermon on one word right here. I'm just saying. So it could still take some time, but I'm thinking by December we're finished with this study in Corinthians. But if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, um, you can even use the Bible underneath the seat close to you. If you want to use a Bible that we have, and you can turn to page 961. We're going to be uh, reading through verses 42 through 49. No, 35 through 49. I'm sorry, 35 to 49. And while you're turning there, um, I'll wait a second. I want to read this whole thing in its entirety, and then I want to pray for us, Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 35. The words will be on the screen. You can follow along there. But someone will ask. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. Someone is going to ask, well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, Paul says. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But you see, God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. And there is one kind for humans, another kind for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. And there are even heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in its glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. And this is what Paul is driving towards. We're talking about the resurrection of dead bodies. And so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and yet it is raised in power. And it is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. And if there is a natural body, he says, then there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last man, Adam, became a living being. Wait, sorry, sorry, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit, excuse me. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, And the second man is from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are all of those of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall, he says, also bear the image of the man of heaven. Let's just pray, right? Lord, we need help today. Uh, The resurrection of dead bodies, Lord, is a challenging thing to consider. And so, God, we ask 
your Holy Spirit to be here who could um, fashion our minds to receive this truth. You could form in our hearts a place for the word of God to implant and bear fruit in us that we too would have a hope of the resurrection. So God, we ask as we come together um, in Jesus' name that you would be with us and that you would help us to understand. Um, we, we know there is no shame in ignorance, Lord. There are many things we do not know. And so we ask you, Lord God, that you would reveal things to us. And then, God, it is up to us to choose whether to believe or not. So God, help us to see the truth and then help us um, to believe that it's true. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For the bulk of chapter 15, Paul has been making his case. We call this in the church language, uh, apologetics. He's trying to defend the case of the resurrection of the dead. In the first part of chapter 15, he helps, helps us to see that it is in fact true. In the first part of 15, we see that where Jesus was um, murdered on a cross, if you will, died, uh, buried in a grave, and on the third day, he was raised back to life. And he revealed himself to the apostles and to a bunch of other people. At one time, he showed himself to over 500 people at once. And Paul points to that reality and says, a lot of those people are still alive, and you can go ask them, okay? So he's trying to prove that the resurrection of the dead is in fact a true thing. And then last week we talked about how the resurrection is not only true, but it's essential for us as Christians to believe. In fact, Paul made the case that if we disbelieve the resurrection of the dead as a hope for us in the future, it has the net effect of taking everything away that God has done for us in the past. So consider this, his sacrificial death on a cross doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't matter. If this isn't true, then neither is this, Paul would say. And he says, and if we don't believe in the resurrection, then we don't believe in anything. In fact, of all people on the earth, we have been lying about God and we should be pitied if the resurrection isn't true. But Paul shifts. He shifts from his apologetics of trying to prove it true or to prove that it's essential. And now he begins to explain why it matters to us. See, the resurrection matters deeply to us. And Paul wants us to understand that. And he does so by answering a few questions that the Corinthians maybe have asked, or maybe he just assumes they're going to ask him when he says all of this. And those questions are found here in that first verse 35. And it says this, Someone's going to ask, well, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come in? So when the bodies are raised from the dead, what are they going to look like? Now, I have to admit this. Of all of the criticisms that you and I might have of the Corinthian Christians, and we should have many criticisms of them, may I remind you some of the things we learned about the Corinthians these past many months. A lot of them, some of them, most of them, a few of them. We don't know how many, but some of them used to get drunk at the communion feast. I think we could be critical of that. Would you agree? Or are we all Lutherans? I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> I'm, I, okay, I told myself, don't go there, Jeff. I did. I said that to myself in my office. Don't say that. And I did it anyways. So anyways... Silence. <laughs> now listen. No, no, there were people getting drunk at the communion feast, and I think we should be critical of that. There were people 
experiencing, enjoying, participating in all kinds of sexual immorality. There's a man sleeping with his mother-in-law or something and just crazy stuff was going on. We can look at that and be critical of that. There were factions and divisions. There's all kinds of um, uh, parts of the church breaking into pieces. They were suing one another in court. It was just a mess. And we look at all of those things and I think rightfully we critique them for that. But when it comes to these questions, when it comes to these issues of wondering, are the dead really raised? What kind of body are the the resurrected bodies going to look like? I don't think I have anything to stand on when it comes to criticism. In fact, I think if we're honest, we too should be asking the same questions. You agree? John Calvin, in his commentary to the apostles' letter to the Corinthians, had this to say about this. He says, for who but God alone could persuade us that bodies which are now liable to corruption will after having rotted away or having been consumed by fire or torn in pieces by wild, by wild beasts will not merely be restored, but in a greatly better condition. Do not all our apprehens- apprehensions of things straightway reject this thing as fabulous, nay, he says, absurd. Yes, to all of us, I think we'd agree with John Calvin, this seems to be ridiculousness. And like John Calvin, I think we base it upon our own understanding of our own bodies. If you're old enough, like me and others in the room, you'll understand that we are just on a, what seems to be a slow roll in bodily decay. (laughs) Don't laugh at this, but some of you will know this to be true. Sometimes you wake up with more pains and aches than what what you went to bed with, right? I once sprained my shoulder during a nap. True story. (laughs) True story. (laughs) No idea. I blame my wife. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, Also, I was at the doctor's office this week. I went to the eye doctor, and the doctor told me this. Of all the organs of the human body, the eyes are the first to go. Should we live long enough, we would all find ourselves blind. And I said, that is the nicest thing you've ever said to me. (laughs) I mean, we, we have this body that we live with and deal with, and we see what happens to it on a daily, monthly, yearly basis. And the idea that somehow God is going to reanimate this thing, resurrect this thing after we die, it just seems crazy, doesn't it? The the first time I ever had to really deal with death um, that I remember, I was in college. I'd I'd seen death before. I remember when I was younger, my grandfather passed away. I was so young, I wasn't even allowed to go to the funeral because I just didn't understand what was happening. In grade school, my best friend Mikey's dad passed away suddenly during the day, and we had to go home and be a part of that, and it was crazy. And I've been in many funerals before, but this one happened in college when my good friend Tom passed away. Tom had been out celebrating one night, that's what we called it, right, with many of us, and he drank way too much. He was intoxicated beyond the ability to drive, and for whatever reason, he was allowed to get in his car and drive away. And and come to find out, he swerved off of the interstate and through the sort of median there, flipped his car, rolled it multiple times, threw, was thrown from the car, landed about 100 yards from where the car actually was, and in his twisted, broken body, there he lay dead. And so I go to the funeral and I stand in line. You know how the lines are so long when people die too young? They're either really famous or they just die too young. 
my hope is that I outlive all (laughs) y'all, that nobody would come to my funeral. But at this funeral, the lines were so long. And as I made my way to the casket to pay my last respects, um, panic came over me. Many of you have experienced panic attacks or anxiety, and I just had to run out of the room. And as I'm leaving the room, I'm just thinking about, is this all there is? This is life. It ends in this moment where there be long lines and empty condolences given to someone who's passed away. There has to be something more to this. And that's what Paul is saying. There is something more to this. And I don't think Paul takes an exception to those of us who are not Christians and and think about this. Resurrection of the dead is something that's so bizarre and foreign and impossible even. I don't think we have the baskets or buckets to carry around a doctrine like that with us. But not so with believers, Paul would say. The unbelievers, sure, you shouldn't believe this. You have no reason to believe this. But Christians... Believers in the raised Christ, of course we believe in the resurrection of the dead, right? Or is there something else that we would believe in? I mean, if you're not going to believe in the resurrection of the dead, then you must believe in something else. What's your alternative theory for what happens to us when we die? Maybe some of you look at the resurrection of Jesus, um, and this is sad to say, but this thought has actually leaked itself into the church. But there is this idea that the resurrection of Jesus was but just a metaphor. That you and I will one day rise from the ashes of our defeat too and live again, so to speak. It's just a picture of what a person can overcome in Christ. And that's not true. It's a true event. I won't bore you with the details in that, right? (laughs) Maybe it's not resurrection. Maybe we're those types of people who think maybe in, in reanimation or reincarnation is the language we use. And so we'll shed this earthly body and pick up another one, maybe of an animal or something else. Who knows? Maybe we're the the Lion King circle of life people, which, by the way, my daughter turned 16 this weekend, and we went out of town for dinner, and she brought some friends, and on the way back, we played Disney show tunes as loud as we possibly could, and we're singing, and I was even, we even tried to get them to sing a Lion King song. So all that to say this, the circle of life thing was maybe we live our life only to return to just material so that other things could then consume that material to then grow into something else. If you know anything about the Urban Death Project, that's their idea. They want to compost human beings. (laughs) Which, like, whatever about people's death practices, I get that. But their idea that somehow all there is to life is just to be fuel for something else to live again is just crazy talk. Especially for believers. And this is Paul's point. In fact, if you were going to believe this, then you're missing everything God has already said in his word. The Bible talks about the resurrection all through the Old Testament. In fact, earlier when we talked about how Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. What scriptures are we talking about? The Old Testament. So God's word proclaims the resurrection to be true. The apostolic teachings of Paul and Peter, etc., have landed to the Corinthians, so they should understand it. And even more, Paul would say, there's this thing called general revelation that exists before you, which just means this. Look at the world around you. You don't believe in resurrection? What did you eat today? It's this question. 
And he, he draws an analogy from like a, a, a kernel of wheat that's buried into the ground and dies only to become a new wheat stalk that is then harvested, fashioned into flour, made into bread. Someone say amen. And then, carbs, and then <laughs> we rejoice. Because you can see this. It's all around you. And to not believe it, Paul says you're a fool. Now hear me, this is not just a, he's not just like calling them a name. When he says you fool, he says you're a foolish person to see what God has said in his word, what the apostles have taught you, and what you see around you with grains and harvests and all that stuff. You're a fool to disbelieve in the resurrection. And when he says that, it carries with it the connotation from the Old Testament, which just says this, that when people disregarded God's word and what God wanted for them, they were called fools. It's when you learn what God has to say about something, maybe in your particular life, but you say, I'm gonna do it my way anyways. The Bible would call you a fool. Fools are characterized this way. They are the opposite of someone who is wise. That's the easy one. They also have wayward hearts. How many of us would admit that sometimes our heart chases after desires and passions only to grow tired and weary in them to then chase after something else and then someone else? I mean something else. Proverbs tells us that a foolish person is like a, a dog... <laughs> who goes back and eats his own vomit. The God is showing us the truth of the resurrection. He does so in his word. He does so through his teaching of the apostles. And now he does so through, through the seed and harvest. You foolish person, verse 36 does not what you sow come to life again? I mean, look at that. You sow it, it comes to life, and it will not unless it dies, he says. And what you sow, it's not the body that it is to be, but it's just a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain, verse 37. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed, its own body. He lays before us this idea that our future resurrected body is not the same as our other body. There is some continuity there, and there does seem, appear to be some transformation of sorts. And just know this, the seed analogy is not a one-to-one -one thing. It's just a picture of what we might have to look forward to. But know this, that to get to the resurrection, death must come first. And he gives us the analogy of seeds. And he gives us the analogy of other bodies. And he says that there are different types of bodies. And we see this in verse 39, for not all flesh is the same, he said. There's one kind for humans, another kind for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. And then there are even heavenly bodies. What Paul is doing is reverse order creation account here, Genesis 1 and 2, days 4, 5, and 6. This is all of that. Everything that God has created, he's created uniquely and differently. And these bodies have different glories, if you will, different Builds diff like birds look different than fish. You, I mean, this is like you know that, right? <laughs> and and they're built differently for where they live, pointing to this reality that the new body that we'll have will be built, will be made 
for us to live in that place. So if you're like me and you're wondering, man, I don't, I kind of don't want this body, just for the record. <laughs> like if I could ever get an upgrade, it's at the resurrection, say amen, right? <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. But there's something, it'll still be me. Somehow, there's some continuity there. I will be transformed in the hope for all of us that are in Christ, there will be that thing that takes place. And ultimately, that body will be created to live eternally with God forever and ever and ever and ever. You ever, you ever listen to a song this is going to sound pretentious. I know, I know that. So apologies in advance. But do you ever listen to a song and, and wonder to yourself why the artist chose to put that harmony like in that spot? <laughs> I'm the only one. Uh, or maybe you look at a painting and you wonder why the artist chose that color for the shadows instead of this color. Why did they, do you know what I mean? Do you ever just look at things that are created and wonder why the artist did the thing that they did? did the thing with? <laughs> I'm so intelligent. I can just tell. <laughs> yeah, I'm above you guys. I don't know. I'm just trying to say, sometimes I look at the things that people create and wonder why they do it. I mean, when Paul points to general revelation, the world around us, and all of the animals and humans and heavenly bodies and glories of stars and all that stuff, I'm telling you what, if we could just like come to this place and just remind ourselves that God created it all. That he, again, I love this. When you look at sunsets and see them purple, it, it should blow your mind. Because I'm telling you, God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to make clouds become elephants and do that stuff in the, in the sky. He didn't have to do any of those things. But he did, like an artist who creates something, we stand on this side looking at it going, wonder why he did this, wonder why he did that. And our, our, our uh, mind goes to God as creator and how he's built everything. He did it all by himself. He did it and he so chooses to bring his son Jesus to the world in a human now, why is that significant for us? Here it is, because he could have done anything he wanted to do, but he didn't. He puts dignity into humanity. Of all of those things that have been created, I'm here to tell you, humans are greater. There's something special about us. There's a dignity in the life of the person. And God proves that by bringing his son Jesus into the womb of a virgin. And from the very first embryonic break of a cell, we see that human life has dignity long before it's ever born. Amen? I wonder why he did that. He's showing us something. And when God raised his son Jesus from the dead... Because remember, it wasn't Jesus raising himself. It was God raising him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. When he did so, he placed into it a hopeful reality for all of us who would believe. That somehow, some way, God is making that available to us if we choose to believe it. 
Paul says all of these things to the Corinthians, again, not by trying to prove it to them, but to help them see that God is incredibly creative and can and do and does do things that only he can do. He says, verse 42, that everything that is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable and what is going to be raised will be imperishable. It will last forever. It might be sown in dishonor, but it will be raised in glory, sown in weakness, but raised in power. Say amen. This is what God does. And it is raised, he says, verse 44, a spiritual body. Now, this is not to say that we're devoid of flesh somehow. It just means that it's a supernatural body built for supernatural living. It means that the life that we hope to live in the future in our resurrected bodies is way different than this sinful, broken hurtful, dark world sometimes. I have to be honest with you. I've never had the appeal of heaven. Um, The appeal of heaven or eternity for me has never been um, something I looked forward to by way of trying to escape like hell. You know, people preach the thing, well, you don't want to go to hell, do you? So just believe in Jesus and you get to have eternity with heaven. That never worked for me. But you know what does work for me? Not only do we have a hope, right, of, and a future with God in eternity, but he gives us a hope in this world now. See, that's the other thing. When, when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit um, having come to believers, it's the uh, down payment, if you will, that we do have that future awaiting us, but he doesn't make us suffer through it alone. He gives us the Holy Spirit as, again, like um, a down payment, a receipt, if you will, that we eventually get to that place. And that same spirit can help us overcome the hurt, the sin, the darkness, the brokenness. What kind of a God would, would dangle this thing out in front of us to just watch us slave towards it, and work, and moan, and groan to try to achieve it. He has given us something now to overcome things. Yes, we still die, but as he will say next week, but death is no victor. Death, in fact, has lost its ultimate sting over us because one day we will be raised. Believers should know this, he says. Do you know this? I, uh, I'm so out of time. I'm so out of time. I, um, I was praying this morning. I've been a Christian 23 years. Not that it matters, right? But I've never studied the resurrection like I did these past weeks. I've just never like labored into it. I go to church like many of you, right? And I hear the guy talking about, oh, Jesus died, Jesus raised, and you two will raise. Let's pray. Amen. And I'm like, okay, I get it. But I've never looked at it. I never like peeled back the onion, if, if you know what I mean, and try to understand it. I'm telling you what, when you see the resurrection is true for Jesus and for us, it changes how you live here. It is ultimate for us. It's saying not only has God given dignity to humanity, but he has some purpose for us even after this place. 
How's my hair? Is it okay? <laughs> this is where my, my wife comes up and does this to me. We're going to take communion today, right? I'm out of time. Let's move to the next thing. So we're taking communion today. And yeah, it doesn't have to be the next thing. This could just be a gentle reminder of everything that God has done for us. So when we take communion, okay, if you're visiting with us, we, we, um, once a month we take communion. It just means that we're going to come to your chair in a moment. We're going to give you an opportunity to take a little cracker if you want and a little cup of juice and if you're visiting with us and you belong to another church or whatever, you're welcome to take communion with us. We would love for you to take communion with us. Right, it's what we do to remember what Jesus has done. I'll get to that in a minute. But if you're not a Christian, if you're just hanging out because a friend invited you, we're so glad you've come. When this like cracker crosses your lap, it doesn't mean anything to you. You don't have to take it. I wouldn't. I went to many churches and I didn't believe and I didn't take communion. You can let it pass and I promise you, no one in your row is going to care. No one is going to judge you. No one is even going to give it a second thought. But if you're a believer, if you're one of those people who believe in the resurrection of the dead, then grab a cracker and a little cup of juice. And then, um, when the band comes back, you'll have an opportunity on your own time and when you're ready to just place the cracker in your mouth and to bite it. And I always bite it. I know you could let it dissolve, but I don't think Jesus, when he broke bread at that last meal, he didn't give it to his disciples and say, here, put this in your mouth and soak it up with your saliva as a picture of my body. I know, right? Pray for me. He said, crush it. You know his body was crushed. And you know why, right? It's because of you. Own it. Just crush it. His body broken for you and for me. And then we follow it with a little juice just to be symbolic of Jesus' blood that would wash us from all sin. The broken bread, if you will, the body of Christ washes away with the blood of Christ. All of our sins, past, present, and future, all gone. And then Paul would call those of us who participate in this and believe it to be true, he would say of us that we are in fact in Christ. Which means that before we were in Adam, the first man, and this is kind of closing with what Paul is saying here. And the first man, Adam, brought sin into the world, but the, the, the new Adam, the second Adam, Jesus, brings life into the world again. And those of us who are in Christ, even though we may yet die, we will be raised again. Amen? Ah, oh, amen? <laughs> that was fun for me. I hope it was fun for you. So I'm gonna pray. The communion team's gonna come back down and uh, the band's gonna come and play a song. You're welcome to take the cracker and a juice 
take it at your own time, okay? And when you're done, then stand up and rejoice with us. Just sing and worship Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for everything that you do. We thank you for your word that teaches us about the resurrection. We thank you for Paul's words that teaches us more about the resurrection. God, we thank you that we see the resurrection take place around us um, in that picture of a seed going into the ground. God, we too have the hope of resurrection. So we thank you that you're not a God who has given up on that which has fallen and sinful, but you have come to reconcile fallen and sinful things, to restore them to right order, and you do so by the work of your son, Jesus. And we thank you for that, God. We ask that you bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope this message was an encouragement to you. Walking in faith can be difficult, but we are constantly working to remind people of the truth and love of Jesus. And we want you to be a part of that. So head over to our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram, or connect with us online at renaissancedecatur.org and help us make a difference in the heart of our city.